We all know the truth. More connects us than separates us. But in times of crisis, the wise build bridges, while the foolish build barriers. You raise walls, I destroy them. Let's see who prevails. Just because something works doesn't mean that it cannot be improved. I say we take off and nuke the entire site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Allow my sword to join you in the fight against evil. The world needs us to chase dreams. We have to dedicate ourselves each and every single day to this fight because I can't do it alone. You, the people, have the power. The power to create machines. The power to create happiness. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful. To make this life a wonderful adventure. Then in the name of democracy, let us all unite! Bonjour and welcome to episode 12 of the SF in Translation podcast. I'm Rachel Cordasco. And I'm Daniel Hauser. And this episode will include news and updates from February 1st through February 28th. Ah, <laughs> February. It's, uh, yeah. It just flew by, you know, short month. Yeah, it really did. I feel like we were just talking. <laughs> well, the last one we recorded a little later, too, I guess. So that oh, feels true. like even extra short, like it's just been three weeks or something. Well, in the course of uh, of this month, um, we learned about Clark's world, uh, well, Neil Clark's um, news about uh, getting funding uh, from or partnering with the um, uh, a literary translation, a Korean literary translation uh, group. And Clark's World will now be publishing, uh, I think over the course of a year, nine works of Korean SF and translation in the magazine. And which is, which is super exciting. And then he also launched, um, the Clark's World books imprint, um, that is going to focus on SF and translation. And the first book that is on Kickstarter um, is a book of short stories by Shah Jha, who has been featured in Clark's Old Magazine multiple times. So um, I was really waiting to finally hear what uh, what Neil was, was going to say, because he kept like dangling this like, oh, it's going to be big news. And I was, you know, I was like, tell us already. So he finally told us and. I think it'll be great. I think it'll add some some new stuff to the mix. Yeah, it's always exciting to see the world of SFT expanding, um, both in the short fiction realm that there's this sort of branching on from just the Chinese um, short fiction and translation to now Korean as well. And so the funding is there to help make that happen, which is why they're happening. And so that makes me hopeful that we'll see even more funding from other um, regions of the world too, that um, will want to get the, the short fiction out there. And, and yeah, the longer works then too, I need to check out that Kickstarter because I haven't yet. Um, Cause that's something that I'm looking forward to is more longer works too, and more novels that are going to be available um, or collections as they're starting out with. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think this, the whole thing about, you know, funding and everything, it really, you know, it really does, uh, of course, you know, as in everything, money is, you know, is a major mover for things. And, you know, countries that, that, um, supply money for these projects or, um, where there's, you know, there's a lot of funding for this kind of thing, then you see more collaborations and translations from that, you know, from that country. And, you know, you'll see it across the decades, you know, like you'll suddenly have a ton of translations from one country that happens to be like very powerful at the time. And then, you know, a couple decades later, it's a different country that's, you know, it's so it, it really does have to do with, you know, is 
what money is available, um, you know, who's, you know, if there are venues to publish it, um, like so many things have to happen for this to happen. So, um, I think that, uh, that this is, this is great. And I did a, a kind of informal poll as I do on, uh, Twitter where I say, okay, what should, you know, the next month's SF in translation kind of focus be? Um, you know, and so I, I give like a few suggestions and so far Korean SFT seems to be, uh, winning the poll. So Korean SFT seems, uh, pretty hot right now. <laughs> and people are anticipating it too, probably. So, you know, feature, feature what is big. Cause even outside of just sort of promoting the, the works of Korea, then it, it also just spreads the the news about science fiction and translation that's available, just period, um, to get it on people's radar. And so we're going to continue promoting whatever's out there, whether it be a coordinated funding a funded effort, or it's you know some person in their basement that is doing translations on the side and wants to let the know the world know about these really good authors or really good works that are looking for homes. Uh, both ends of the spectrum will feature. So, yeah, that's why I love when when people say, "Hey, you know, I do I translated, you know, this this book or this collection, um, you know, but it, you know, I published it through Amazon or through whatever. Um, but they'll, you know, they'll send me a copy or even something that's not published yet. It's just a a translation that hasn't found a publisher yet. You know, I love reading those because sometimes you you really find some great stuff. Um, kind of like the, um, uh, vestiges <laughs> where, yes, exactly. <laughs> where I, I said to Strange Horizons people, uh, can I write a review on something that hasn't been published yet? <laughs> in <laughs> it's English? Been I yeah, mean, it exactly. has it's published in French, but not in English. And they were like, sure. And I was like, you guys are the best. <laughs> anyway, they are great. Yes. They're so great. So, uh, should we talk about books? Yeah, sure. All right. Let's dive in. So, February, you know, it's always slim pickings in February. Um, but this time, you know, slim pickings means that there's like not that much offered in terms of numbers, but what is offered is pretty amazingly like awesome. So that's, it makes up for it. Um, so anyway, on the 5th of February, we got The Nine Cloud Dream by Kim Man Jung, translated from the Korean by Heinz Insu Fankel from Penguin. And I haven't heard many people talking about this. I haven't heard much about it, but um, it looked really interesting. It's described as a Buddhist journey reminiscent of Dante's Inferno, exploring the illusions of human life. And it is the first new translation in 40 years and is considered one of the greatest, if not the greatest, uh, work of Korean fiction. Um, it's, you know, it, again, it's like in, you know, the inferno. Um, and I wasn't really sure if this qualify, like, if this would, would fit as SF in translation, you know, but it is very speculative. I mean, you know, you could call the, the Inferno SF in translation. It just, you know, that's kind of like whatever you want to call it. But, um, I, like I said, I didn't hear many people talking about this. So I figured this, you know, we could kind of give it a little shout out in case people are interested, um, in, in this, uh, take on the same kind of, you know, mystical, uh, fantastical exploration, uh, of the, you know, of human nature, um, kind of like, uh, like the Inferno. Uh, so there's that. And then, uh, the, the really big collection of the year came out and that is Ken Liu's translations of Chinese SF, uh, volume two. So this is Broken Stars. And I read it, uh, I guess about, um, month and a half ago maybe and it you know it is so great <laughs> so it's 
like Invisible Planets, it brings together some of the greatest Chinese authors writing SF today. Um, but this latest collection, according to Ken in his intro, uh, focuses on a wider variety of authors and fewer stories per author. So in Invisible Planets, you would have, uh, Cheng Kyofan and like four stories from him and there are like, you know, two or three from Sha Jar, you know, but in this one, it's, um, mostly one story per author. I, th- I think there may be a couple authors who have two stories, but it's, it's mostly one to one. And that allows, um, Ken to, to show us even more of a variety of styles and approaches, um, and subgenres within, um, speculative fiction. And I just, I really enjoyed it. Um, my favorite stories in the collection were those by Sha Jia, Zhang Ran, and Chen Qifan. And I think one of my favorite stories ever was the history of future illnesses. Did you ever read that, Daniel? I feel like it's been available online in the past. I think it has. No, I, no, I haven't. It's so great. <laughs> it's, it's it like sounds like it would be up my alley though. For, yeah, it's <laughs> true. That's true. It's true. It's it's very much like um, ambiguity machines. Vandana Singh's uh, collection and oh, it's like a whole it's a whole um, subgenre of uh, five. You know, and like like uh, it was Han Jingfan's um, or Hao Jingfan's Invisible Planets. It's it's just like a whole bunch of different. You know, oh, and then this planet is like this, and you know, and this planet is is, you know, these crazy things are happening, and um, it's it's just like a series of absolutely like seemingly normal things. Like, of course, this happened and that happened, but they're totally crazy, <laughs> and and you're reading it going, oh yeah, I believe it. Wait, no, wait, that's not possible. Um, so I just love those kinds of things. So, um. And uh, Chen Qifan's, uh Waste Tide is going to be out in a few months, so I'm really excited about that. That's so pretty. Have you seen the cover for that, the Waste Tide? Nope. Oh, it's not, so pretty. Well, not to recollection, at least. Yeah, it's on, uh, I think it's it's coming out from Tor, so it's very cool. So not a ton, but some good stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you got, you got a collection of, uh, Chinese SF edited and translated by Ken Liu, so you know you're good to go with that. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's not it's like, you're not going to go wrong with it, right? No, it, impossible <laughs> to go wrong with that. I I was trying to review it, and I was like, how does one review such a thing? It's just there's so much to say, and right, you and know, well, how, collections in general too. It's always more difficult to review. Uh, those. <laughs> those are hard, but uh, you were able to do it. We'll talk about that soon. Uh, first, <laughs> let's talk about, uh, the short stories. A bunch came out really late in the month, so. They did. Yes. So the one came out today. And so that one I actually haven't gotten to read yet. And things will be a little different for this because normally I have my written notes or even my composed, uh, paragraphs that I give to you to put up on the SF and translation website. And, I don't have all of it written out, so I'm just going to go from um, just from my own brain rather than notes. Um, so yeah, so can dive right in then. Yeah, let's do this. So the first one that I want to talk about is uh, the new uh, translated work of Chinese in Clark's World, and so this is another translation by Andy Dudak. And it's entitled The Butcher of New Tasmania by, do you know how to pronounce the author's name? Suo Hefu? Sure. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Suo. Um, I need to start putting these into at least the best you can get from Google in terms of how they might be translated. I need to start doing that to, to for like scientists, I've done that when I'm talking about them in class often, just so that I have actual do justice to their names um and so that can be a a help in any case um this story um 
as the title kind of um, suggests, is about someone who has been detained on charges of genocide, of basically being a butcher of an entire race of people. And so the story is set in the future where humans have expanded um, into the universe and an old confederation has kind of sort of died out. And after many years of, you know, post empire stagnation, a new confederation is given rise and they send out ships to contact a lot of the worlds, the colony type worlds that had been left um, that uh, to sort of, exist but they don't know if they've survived or in what state they're in from the old prior um confederation and so one of those worlds is new tasmania and um the the person that ends up being detained then is named larry Wu. and so the story is written as a letter from larry to a um special pardon committee that then explains his reasoning for doing what he did. And so basically he flat out says all the facts that have been presented in his case and his indictment are, are true. They're just not the complete story. And he doesn't feel that he's actually guilty of what he's being charged, despite agreeing with all the facts of the case. And so what Larry was is he served as the medical officer and he's a biologist on a ship called the vitus bearing and so they went to um new tasmania to check it out and found people there and in the process um then it some things happen and it ends up with larry then basically being accused of genocide because he pretty much uses a virus to wipe out part of the population. And so this, I don't want to say more than that because really the heart of the story is finding out exactly what he did and why he did it. And one of the clever, neat things about the story, I think is that it's not what you might at first think in terms of, if you just think, okay, virus wiping people out, not perhaps what you might be thinking. Um, and so <clears throat> I really, I really love the, the sort of philosophical questions that the story gives. And it's one that as soon as I read it, I was like, Ooh, I could have used this in my course this semester um, to discuss. Um, and so I'll hold it maybe for a future one. Um, so I really liked it um, overall for its ideas. On the other hand, the style that it's written in, I wasn't a huge fan of, I wouldn't say that it like totally destroys the story, but it's as written as a letter. It's really, really wordy um, more so than it needs to be. And almost like overly flowery and overly precise. Um, and so he's writing to this committee for pardon. And so he's putting in facts like exactly how many days have passed between things um, or how many yeah, years and months have passed. And there's just all these weird details that kind of, it's information laden or and wordy um and i'm getting wordy and talking about it now no no it's you know it's these these letter stories sometimes can get yeah annoying. <laughs> um but i'm i'm actually kind of curious to ask andy um to to what extent that kind of is in the original language because i'm guessing it is just the overall style of it i'm kind of curious about how he went about doing the translation of it to sort of preserve that because yeah. i see how it works in the story i personally right. it's not the funnest thing to read but i understand why the author did that uh if that makes sense yeah because so. when you're writing like a, a letter of explanation or you know or, or some sort of you know uh official document yeah there there's certain kinds of language that you use uh that you wouldn't use in a, a letter to a friend not that anyone writes letters anymore but you know what i mean but uh <laughs> well this the, is an electronic letter too well, yeah, really. <laughs> it's true but what i found really really fascinating um in the in the interview with andy was when he said because i have i have no idea about translating like i don't really i don't know chinese i don't know 
what goes into translating from Chinese into English. And he said that translating Chinese into English is a lot of, um, where you'll have a series of ideas. And it's up to you, the translator, to to actually turn it into complete sentences. Interesting. And yeah. and almost like it's almost like someone's given you just a whole bunch of stuff, and you, uh, you have, have to, style. yeah, you have to then turn it into what English, what what people expect in English, right? So, like in in Chinese, it's it's fine the way it is because that's how they write, but then. You have to get it into English where people can actually, you know, kind of read it and say, Oh, okay. This is this, you know, we expect this kind of structure. And this is what the translator has to bridge, which is so different from going like from a romance language to English. Cause it, it it's a, you know, although I've, I've noticed in Italian too, there does seem to be more of a tendency of, um, you know, putting lots of, lots of, uh, uh, I always forget what it's called. But anyway, just a lot of, you know, using a lot of commas and, and, and putting a lot of different phrases in, um, where, and I, I find myself, you know, chopping sentences in half, being like, this needs to be one sentence, and this needs to be one sentence, and that's just how it should be in English. It has nothing to do with how it is in Italian, but, um, he, yeah, he was explaining that it just, it's a different, Totally different style and translating from one to the other. I, I have no idea how, <laughs> how he does it. It just seems so, uh, so complicated, you know, like two different languages and two different styles, you know, ways of approaching telling a story. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, I'm always in, in awe of, uh, I, I think he's, yeah, he does a consistently good job. So that's, good. That's, yeah. <laughs> yes. But yeah, some of the, you know, the stories, I mean, at this point, we've read so, you know, so many uh, works of Chinese SFT and Clark's world that, you know, like we were saying another time, we're able to, to say, oh, well, this, you know, this group is good, that group was not so good in terms of just the story itself. But the translations have always been very high quality. And I I don't want to give the the idea that it's like dry in any way, the letter in terms of how it's written. Um, it's actually, it gets uh, really descriptive at times. And some of the times those descriptions are quite graphic too. Um, but the, then the story also obviously deals with like colonial type issues. Um, and one of the things I liked about it is this person that's making this argument for himself, Larry, you, can see why he did what he did but at the same time things he says make it clear that he's not as you know um he's not as clean as he might say he is or even though he claims to have not not a racist bone in his body or not have sort of colonial type thoughts he does and so he's definitely far from perfect yet at the same time the actions are things that people could debate the ethics of. And so I, I really liked that, that he wasn't sort of a flat kind of character whatsoever. There was a lot of complexity in this short little story. Yeah. And this was his first, his first story in Clark's world, right? I don't recognize the name. I, yeah, I don't offhand. So, so the second story I wanted to talk about is, uh, Art by Alberto Schimal, uh, translated by David Bowles from uh, the Spanish. And this was originally published in a collection from 2015. Um, and so this is actually the first of two stories by this author that is available this month. Um, this one actually was published back in December. And so I'm not sure if it just slipped through the cracks, but it's actually a December, 2018 story, but I'm still catching up back to those months anyway. So I actually got to this one first, I guess. Um, But in any case, um, this is basically a story that describes takes a while and 
a lot, a lot of words. I mean, it's not a super long story, but it's another example of one that's very wordy, very long sentences, very complex sentence structure. It, it would have been a hard one to translate, I think. Um, but it describes a fleeting moment in time, really. And that moment in time is the destruction of the earth. And so it describes in a lot of vivid detail, sort of, it starts out saying how painful that the entire planet should end violently at seven o'clock in the morning when everybody has woken up and is headed to work. What a shame the news outlets barely managed to mention the concern expressed around the world by experts and authorities, dot, dot, dot. Um, Because that uh, begins a long sentence. Um, And so it's detailing sort of talking about seven o'clock in the morning. Of course, that's just local time. So then eventually it says, well, actually it's seven o'clock at night somewhere else. And this is happening there. And ultimately describes just the death of two people, the two people who are the last human beings to effectively die as the earth is destroyed. Um, and so it's that's why it was published in the Dark magazine. <laughs> yes, quite because dark. It, it's a quite dark story. Um, again, some descriptions that are really graphic in it um, of sort of the chaos and the horror that erupts. Um, but in the end, the story, yes, it's about the destruction of the Earth, but the title of the story is Art. And it also is could be read just as a symbolic piece to talk about the or sort of delve into issues of an artist creating and the artwork and how that artwork is perceived on the surface level of the story it's treated as how others end up viewing the earth and as it's destroyed what their thoughts are about it almost as the earth as a work of art and appreciation. And so the ending of the story, which I don't want to spoil is just brilliant. And so it's a really, we had a few stories this month that ended up being really philosophical. The, the first one deals with ethics a lot. This one with sort of, again, a, a philosophical and also just connecting a symbolically art to the science fiction scenario. Um, and so I really, I really like this one. And then the second story by the same author then was published in bewildering stories. And in this case, it was translated by a translation superstar, Toshaya Kamai, who, uh, has another translation this month as well and had a few last month. So he really churns, uh, out some really good, uh, translations and a lot, it seems. Um, so the second story is called A Young Man's Fortune, and it's about a wizard that has the ability to be a seer, basically sees into the future, and a young man comes to the wizard's house wanting to know about his future, but then ends up being not so happy with what um, is forecast for his future. And so ultimately, it's a very short story, and it it really is about sort of um how much we really want to know about where we're going to be in the future sort of the the burden that some people carry by knowing what's going to come about by a situation perhaps the burden of having a secret there's a lot of other ways to read into the story too um deeper so it's another one again by the same author that it's on the surface, a fantasy story, but really it's just symbolic for really human emotions and the human experience. Yeah. Uh, this author is, I mean, there is a ton out by him by now. There's a lot that came out, uh, last year and, um, you know, and even before that, he's just, uh, yeah, he's, there's, there's a lot available by him and, and it's good stuff. So. He's he's the one who who put out that um tweet Twitter story or it was like a hundred a hundred tweets and it was, and it, was, it was uh translated by like a class taught by uh translator George Henson and uh very popular story yeah yeah so the one line in it 
uh, towards the end that really rung out with me was the young man sort of says, damn you, wizard, you've got no heart. You don't remember the days when you were like any other man, the young man said, and then walked away. And it, in reality, it's actually the exact reverse. The wizard, even though the wizard's not particularly old, has experience and has seen the future and is actually thought really carefully about what he's doing, um, about telling people about the future, this young man, in fact, um, and what he ends up doing in the end. Um, and so it's a lot in terms of how people deal with that having gone through experiences, how do you communicate that experience and how do you communicate wisdom to somebody who has, who doesn't have that? That's like trying to raise children. <laughs> <laughs> that's well familiar to you today, right? <laughs> yes. It's just, you know, when they say to me, well, so-and-so won't play with me. I try to tell them what my mom told me, plus my own experience. And, and I feel like, you know, this should help them, you know, knowing my experience and knowing, you know, how I got through things, you know, this should, this should help them. But then it's like they're either not even listening or they don't think that it's relevant to them. And I think that's just like the tale of humanity, you know, like older people say stuff and people are like, what the hell do you know? You're old. And it's like, no, no, they have experience. Oh yeah, experience is really useful. <laughs> ah, this is the same you know? age-old thing with students and professors. Oh, still. there you <laughs> and, go. Same thing. Well, meanwhile, also to, it's a nice segue to the next story where it's a little gentler, a nicer view of children. Um, and that story is for humanity today and tomorrow by Sue Saito. Uh, the second one this month, translated by Toshaya Kamai. Um, this case. Um, translated from Japanese, I believe, and published in Aphelion, a magazine of science fiction and fantasy. This is another short short um, that um, packs an emotional punch, um, particularly at the end. Uh, and it opens up with scientists that uh, seem to be culturing or growing um, fetuses of previous uh, human ancestors along the evolutionary steps of um, that eventually led to Homo sapiens. And so they basically cloned and through surrogates and through in vitro um, techniques are now raising um, children and babies of um, ancestors of the human race because our planet is dying and going into a global ice age that corresponds to what historically all of these predecessors of the human race also lived in. And so effectively it's saving the world humanity today by using the humanity of yesterday so that we have a tomorrow. Uh, if, that, if that makes sense. Ooh, my brain just went, Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> So it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a nice little story, um, that I enjoyed an interesting idea that, um, if we're doomed because we're not sort of fit for the planet, we could save ourselves by repopulating it with the previous species that did, thrive in those conditions that ultimately led to us once the ice age passed very quick shorts uh to read uh if that interests you and so then the final one um that i'll talk about aside from the one that was just published today so maybe i'll talk about that next month but the last one was everyone sleeps at night by anderson fonseca which was um, oh, again, translated from the Portuguese by Toshaya Kamai. I didn't even pick up on that earlier, that it's a third one. Um, and so um, so this one is about uh, a young girl, Deborah, or Deborah, that uh, wakes up in the morning and communicates with the artificial intelligence that pretty much like runs the day-to-day -day activities of the house, keeping it clean updating about news or what needs to be done. And that artificial intelligence is named Ian. And as the story begins, you really get the sense that something's not quite right here. Um, and Deborah begins to also realize that something's not quite right with her as well. And so the story is somewhat 
vague at the end, I would say. I had a, a reading of it, and I don't want to spoil it, but um, that really the main character of the story, to me, I guess, is actually Ian, um, the AI that runs the house. Um, so again, it's not a story that has a lot of complexity to it, kind of like the previous one. Um, it's on the shorter side as well, but it's an enjoyable one still. And so this one is published on Idle Inc., um, which they have the subheading of Curious Fiction. And so, yeah, I, it seems fitting for that. And that is it for Short Fiction this month. Well, yeah, the one that just um, that was just published today looks very cool. The more Korean science fiction. Yes, and so that's uh, Home, published yes. on Guernica. So. Yes, Guernica's got like it's i mean it seems to be like one every like one you know one work of sft every like nine ten months or something like it's not often but it's once in a while so that's pretty cool yeah i remember reading some things on there before well thank you thanks for that report so yeah it was a it was a month where there's sort of like an interesting mix between some that have a lot of complexity to them and some that uh, that are pretty simple and straightforward. Uh, but all of them, I think, end up being pretty symbolic in that there's sort of the surface reading and then there's also a little something a little deeper. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a good mix of, you know, science fiction, fantasy, surrealism, you know. And fantasy in translation is harder to come by, it seems. It's so hard to determine, yeah, what even fantasy is sometimes. Yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. Well, there's magical realism. There's like high fantasy. There's like urban fantasy. There's, I don't know. Literary fantasy is pretty common to become translated, yeah. I think. But it's, you know, epic fantasy and things like that. That's a little more harder to find, it seems. Yes. Yes. That's not as, that doesn't seem as, um, as in, yeah, people people aren't grabbing that like they used to. But yeah, well, that's yeah, that's good. It's a good mix, um, especially for February. Again, February, everybody's just tired of winter, or everybody you know um, who who has winter in February is tired of winter. <laughs> yeah, uh, us us in Buffalo right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's been really depressing. Um, but also we we had also a bunch of uh very interesting reviews uh that that came out in February. So um there you know I've noticed Locus. I mean Locus is really doing a lot more um with every issue focusing on SF and translation and and highlighting a lot of it. So that was pretty good. Um and Ian Mond who is uh one of their reviewers has said that he wants to um, read and review more SFT going forward. So um, in the latest issue of Locus, he reviews Mars by Aja Bakic, translated from the Croatian by Jennifer Zobel. And a lot of people have asked me if I know, if I've heard about this or if I've read it. And I have heard about it. I have not read it yet. Um, but we did talk about the story right uh last time yes there was yes. one story from this collection that was available for free to read online i think so what was it something of mrs lichen <sighs> yeah my memory is so bad but i i remember enough to know that i loved it and was looking forward to reading this collection yes it was very <laughs> weird and very dark and yet i just yeah um so it is her debut collection uh it's it's uh Described as darkly humorous feminist SF, which is cool. And we don't get a lot from the Balkans uh, area, so that's that's good to to see that. Uh, Roji Tang reviews A Hero Born, which is the first book in the Legends of the Condor Heroes fantasy series by Jin Yang. Um, and A Hero Born is translated by Anna Holmwood and reviewed in Strange Horizons. Um, and I am currently reading, I'll talk about it in depth a little more later, but I'm currently reading the second book in, um, in the Legends of the Condor Heroes. Um, and this actually is, uh, high fantasy, 
and it's described as like the um Chinese Lord of the Rings, but it's really not. You know, but they're what they're trying to get by that is is the kind of fantasy that it is and it's uh it's pretty great. And if you if you want a good introduction to the the series, I definitely suggest reading um uh reading this review uh, of A Hero Born. Um and I'm actually reading uh a Bond Undone to review for Strange Horizon, so um that'll yeah. It's a big it's a big book, man. Like I got I got in the mail and was like, What? Yeah, it's like almost five hundred pages, but it's like it's like a big five hundred pages. You know, it's it's like paper on paper that's larger than normal. <laughs> and you're like, Oh, this is gonna take me a while. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll get that review out at some point soon. Um, so, um, also just, uh, came out today was Alvaro Zeno Samara's, um, review of Mouthful of Birds by Samantha Schweblin in Intergalactic Medicine Show. And it's a very long, uh, I mean, I mean, this is like, very in-depth uh review where he um an analysis even <laughs> yes i mean it's just it's it's very um it's thorough it's it's just really a really great kind of you know in to this kind of book uh this you know fantastical surrealism um like all i see everywhere lately is samantha schweblin so um i uh I haven't read his whole review, but, um, but I definitely want you to, to see what, what he thinks. Cause I've heard a lot of different things. I've heard, Oh, she's so great. I've heard, eh, she's all right. So <laughs> uh-huh. the New Yorker had a little blurb on it. I remember. And then I went to try to find it in the bookstore and it, it wasn't there. That's just the, in the bookstore was the one place where I, I couldn't find it. So I, yeah, it's weird. It's like everybody's talking about it, but it's not there. It's not like accessible, but. Um, and of course, our listeners must check out a fabulous review by a certain Daniel Hauser of the complete stories of Leonora Carrington on Strange Horizons. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that review? I, I don't know who that reviewer is, but it sounds like a hack. <laughs> I don't know about this Daniel guy. <laughs> sounds shady. Yeah, it's a, a book, a collection that I really loved. Uh, I think. This collects previously published stories of hers into one, along with a few other extra previously unpublished stories. Uh, they are wonderfully, deliciously surreal. And deliciously uh, is a good word to use because she has a, a, a particular fascination with talking about things being cooked. Uh, it's sort of a very uh, vivid detail or uh, visceral kind of detail, I guess. Um and so when I sent this review to Strange Horizons, uh, one of the editors said that they thought the, the reading kind of showed that I had a hard time, um, or the review showed that I, it was something that really made me think about it a lot, I guess I would say. Um, and I, I said yes, but then it almost sounded like he thought I didn't like it. And so I hope people don't get that idea from the review. No, I, I got the sense that you were very... Uh really taken by it oh yeah i i adored it i wish she had more stories um particularly her earlier stories they tend to be i think better um and at least more pure if you want to use that term um the later ones some of them get a little longer and i don't think she excels quite as well as when she's kind of just short and really just completely out there in the surreal aspect of it um despite the surreal nature it's not just random. There is a lot of meaning that readers can take from it, I think. Um, and the author, Leonora Carrington, I don't know her works of art. I didn't know much about her, but her biography, her life is just as like crazy and interesting as the stories are. Um, so if you haven't heard of her, or don't know her paintings, which she is most well known for. Um, check it out reading the stories to me 
seemed to be like a better way of appreciating her work because it was like her paintings put down in words. And I'm a person that gets things through words. I don't get things through paintings very often. I don't see the images don't evoke the same emotional response or the same ideas in me. Uh, but then reading her stories and then looking at the paintings, now I can begin to actually get her paintings a little more. Well, that's very, that's cool. It's how her stories are training you to see, you know, in a different way. Yeah, basically. So if you're, if you're curious, um, you can check out on, in my review at the bottom, there should be links to, there's a few of her stories from the collection that are available for free um, to read um, online. Um, to kind of get a sense. And there's some of the better ones that are available too. Um, and so not all of her stories are translations, but a good number of them are most of those uh, from French. Right. Yeah. Some from Spanish, but mostly from French. Yeah. She, um, uh, I read the stories that were available um, on, uh, was it Vice? Yeah, it's on vice.com, I think. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Yes, there they are. The debutante and the royal summons. Woo-wee! Yes. I read those. I was like, what did I just read? <laughs> the debutante <laughs> is awesome. I mean, it's a great way to begin the collection. Oh, it's so crazy. <laughs> but I, t- I immediately got a sense like, uh, this is the her kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> Hyena and the, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Uh, I I also didn't know much about her. Um I've I've looked at some of her paintings. I have a better appreciation for uh you know, for surrealist abstract art now than I used to. It used to just make me angry. Now I kind of get it a little more. Um but it's it's uh she was quite the unique lady, let me tell you. Yes. <laughs> Woo! Um well, yeah, this it was a great review. Uh, I think. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think uh, it's great that Strange Horizons um, has such a, a wide variety of um, of reviews. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you'll have like Leonora Carrington's collection next to, you know, um, Chinese fantasy next to, you know, just all over the place. It's right. a really good mix. Um. So those are the uh the reviews that that I found. I'm sure there are others out there that I just I didn't see, but um there was one uh well, I it's not an essay, it's an interview. But um there was there was an interview once again with Samantha Schweblin um called Translating the Dark Surrealism of Samantha Schweblin's Mouthful of Birds. And it is through, where is it published again? Uh, Electric Lit. And, um, it's basically a, an interview with Megan McDowell, the translator. She's translated, um, uh, Samantha Schweblin's, uh, previous book. And, uh, it's, it's a great piece mostly about how the translator comes to, comes to do the translation, how she feels about the work the the relationship between translator and author it's it's pretty great so i have the link um of course on uh the out this month post so i'm you know i'm i'm reading so much about samantha schweblin that i feel like i just need to finally read her you know what i mean like i need to just get a copy of one of these you books need to find out what it's all about i do what are I all these to... kids talking about exactly i need to know like how i feel about it because i hear so much and now I'm just, but then I get like annoyed because then when I see the same person's name come up over and over, and then I'm just like bored. <laughs> so well, um, it's kind of like with uh, Xion and Codex. Uh, is it 1962? Oh, Xion, yeah, yeah, it's, where yeah. like that was kind of all over the place too, and you liked that. So I loved it because I I got to it. I you know, and you're you're right, but I got to it just as I saw that it was being mentioned everywhere and I jumped on it before I could like get bored. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I was very cautious. Before about, every it got cool to everybody. Before else. it got cool, yeah. right. <laughs> but uh I was supposed to read uh his previous one. Oh man, what was it called? Oh something about a invisible boy or it, yeah, I feel really stupid, but it was it was another shown um 
a book quite short actually and i i was i was supposed to read it a couple years ago and uh man i got like 10 pages in was like nope shut the book put it down just nope so with codex uh i really was only that interested in reading it because i had heard like really rave reviews from people who are normally like whatever about most books they read and and they were really enthusiastic so i said okay i gotta read this so yeah i got into i got it before it was like everywhere um but uh yeah well anyway future books let's talk about some stuff that's that's coming up so of course there's mars um which is also getting too many too much play i don't want to i don't want to <laughs> be bored with it um and then and then the weight of snow by Christian uh Guai Polikin. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Polican. Polican, thank you. He's uh from Quebec and this is translated by David Homel, uh, which is interesting because uh we'll call him Christian. Christian's previous novel translated into English was called Running on Fumes, and it was weird. It was like myth meets it was like Cormac McCarthy but more mythical and more like uh like and not it's not as dark but like weird and it's just it's just it's hard to explain but that was translated by Jacob Homel so I'm like are these people related I'm very confused uh are they brothers I don't know um so did the guy change his name <laughs> you know um, but anyway, so, uh, this is supposed to be kind of a continuation of Running on Fumes. Uh, so I definitely want to read it. It's so unlike anything else that, that you'll read. So, um, also coming, coming up in March is, uh, okay, I've practiced this name. I'm going to do it. It's Viswanada Sachanarayana. Ooh, good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, the titles also. I know. Hoo <laughs> Yes. Um it's translated from the Telugu by Vilcharunarayana Rao, who I swear I saw something online that, that this translator is actually at UW Madison as we speak. Oh, cool. As a like a on a fellowship or something. Oh, okay. for yeah. Center of Humanity. I was like, what? <laughs> um so this is uh it's like a two novella collection and the first one, ha ha hoo hoo, uh, is the story of a horse headed creature that just suddenly appears in London one morning. <laughs> it's just there. And people are like, what? So, uh, that's really all I know about that. But so anyway, is there, is there anything you are, what are you looking forward to? Not as usual. I don't know much of what's coming out, but now after hearing that, I need to go find a copy of this running on fumes in the original French. So good. So n- next time I get up into Canada, or if I go to Amazon Canada, I guess I and have some extra money, I might yeah. have to look into to getting that to read. But yeah, otherwise I I can talk about you know reading and looking forward to reading. I guess, but. Yeah, what what uh what is up with you now that we are in our readers corner? Um so my class just got done reading uh Frankenstein in Baghdad. Um yes. which traces all the way back to your recommendation and bringing it to my attention um back when that novel came out. I am bowing right now. Yeah, so <laughs> it it was awesome. The students by by and large um really seemed to engage a lot with it and enjoy it. There were Lots of times where they they were curious, like, well, why did the author do this? Why is the why is this what they said? Um, and so they really got curious about it and what life is like in uh, Iraq at the time of the occupation, then in two thousand five, and and from then on. Um, and so it, I think it's a story because we did it in the context of also watching. Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, the postmodern Prometheus X Files episode. Um, cool. It was kind of like we got to talk about all of those Frankenstein myth um, takes all simultaneously, and so it really it really worked well. What a cool class! 
yeah so that in in sort of other ones that i've now gotten based on your recommendation there's a few others that had gotten a while back that i still need to read um that i'd been considering for the class previously but i've also now had the gift cards from christmas so i was able to pick up copies of vita nostra finally and and next human um which i they were both like on my like towards the top of my list of things to to pick up so i'm looking forward to once i have um some time to fit them into the reading schedule um to delve into those so oh, those are my two of my favorites they're great they're so different yeah, yes <laughs> they're very very different um oh yeah vita nostra is just like your brain falls to pieces and you have to put it back together it's just it's just amazing and next human is just is so just crazy cool uh totally frankenstein meets cyberpunk and uh yeah i just love it francesco is he's really like exploring like the transhuman in ways that i still haven't i haven't seen i know it's you know people are getting more interested in it but i haven't seen that many people exploring it in quite the same way he does um so it's a well that might be one for the course in uh in a future year so definitely yeah he's so great well like i said i'm current i'm reading um reading a bond undone like i said and i um i'm having such a good time because uh this is um it's actually called wuxia uh, I think I'm pronouncing that sort of correctly. And that's Chinese uh, martial arts fantasy. And so it's its own genre. And Jin Young is like the the guy, you know, to write this. Um, and, you know, A Bond Undone was written in the 50s. Um, I, I think the series, I'm not sure how long it spans, but... Um, you know, he's been extremely popular and just like a staple of popular culture. Kind of makes me think of like Stephen King. Like, even if you haven't read Stephen King, you know Stephen King. Um, and so he's very, very well known. And you would think, um, okay, so an American girl in the 21st century reading, uh, Chinese martial arts fantasy from the 50s, like, you know, what's ha- what's going to happen there? And I have to tell you, I just love it so much. Like, I don't know half of the things they're talking about, like with the, the, the double hand fisted, you know, horse punch kick, you know, like every single move has a name. Every like martial arts move has like some sort of long name. And, um, but it's, it's great. The, the characters are so just recognizable. Um, they're, they're very, it's very accessible. The translation is so readable. Um, you don't even realize you're reading. You just feel like you're listening to a story. And, and some of their conversations are so funny that, um, I took to Twitter the other day and was like quoting from the conversation and talking to the translator about it. And I said, this is just hilarious. Like these two women are supposedly they both supposedly like the same guy and this one girl's like you you can't marry him he's mine and the other woman says i don't want to marry him and then the first woman says uh is it cuz he's really stupid and the other woman's like no 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 it's because i i want to marry some other guy and the other woman's like oh okay then we can be friends i mean it's just <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's so funny. She's like, okay, as long as as long as you're not trying to get my man or insulting him, we're cool. So it's just it's very um, picaresque. Like they're going, you know, different places, having different adventures. Um, but the main character, uh, the the guy who's not not so smart, he's so virtuous and so good hearted. Um, that you just have to like him. And that, that's actually, you know, um, part of what you'll read in, uh, in the review of the, the previous book, um, A Hero Born. Uh, you just, you, you just gotta love this guy, even though he's a little like, wait, what? <laughs> like every other thing that people say to him, he's like, what? But he's, he's such a good guy that it's like, it's all right. Um, so I'm, I'm really loving it. It's a huge book, so it's gonna take me, a while but 
it's still a fast read. Um, it's got a really good glossary in the back. Oh, that's good. It's just a great, yeah, great stuff. Um, yeah, haven't had a whole lot of time to translate lately. <laughs> so, I, I understand. Still, uh, still on the uh, worker drone in the quantum age story. Um, still working on that, but you know, hope to to get back into that soon. But uh, yeah, and I'm still um, sort of. Uh, working my way through vestige and i feel bad because i absolutely adore it but it it just requires so much because it's in i'm reading it in french not the tra- translation um it it i'm slow at it it takes a lot of concentration and such so eventually i will get through it but um and i'm i'm looking forward to when i have a bit of time to actually really have be able to devote to it because it deserves uh, it deserves that kind of focus on attention because it is it's just a wonderfully good book what i have read so far so and there are three more i know i know (laughs) (laughs) and i'm going to have to read those now because i'm enjoying this one so much um but but you know that's okay there's summer's coming up so (laughs) yes this is true oh man when is summer here i need it now um speaking of summer uh the weekend as always every single year uh the weekend of memorial day uh is as always uh wiscon which is the um the large the the things the world's largest or oldest uh feminist uh science fiction convention uh for any listeners who don't know what it is and it's always held in madison at the same hotel, the Concourse in downtown Madison. And because I live right here, I can always go. <laughs> um, because I just have to drive 20 minutes. So, and it's a great, it's a great convention. It's, it's really, it's so much going on and it's, it's, and yet it's like small and personable. So you've got like a million panels, but you don't have a million people. Um, they got good, get, um, uh, guests of honor and it's just a great a great place i've been, I've been going for several years so if you're planning to go daniel or anybody else um the sf in translation panel um is hopefully going to be there this year again and right now they have um on the wiscon website uh wiscon.net you can um show your interest in which panels you think you're going to attend so if you think you're going to be at Wiscon, uh, show your support for the SF and translation panel. Uh, and, and when is I, that? it is, so this year I think it's May 24th to 27th. Yes, that is it. Uh, I just had the website pop up. Yes. And Charlie Jane Anders I saw is on the page. So I'm guessing she's going to be there. And G. Willow Wilson, I think, is the other, um, guest of honor. Correct. So it'll, it'll be great. It's, um, I, I'm, I, I'm hoping to host an SFT party. We'll see if that, what happens with that. And I also might be doing a, um, talk on, um, Italian SF. Um, so again, not 100% sure yet until everything's kind of, you know, um, decided on by the, the organizers, but, uh, you know, Wisconsin is, is where it's at. So I'm not going to say anything because nothing is 100% until, until it's, you know, for sure. Um, but all I am going to say is that you guys are going to be getting so much Italian SFT this year. It's just not even funny. So much. It's so great. I'm so excited. Yeah. Some of it. Because I translated and some of it because other lovely people translated it. Um, but it's, it's just great. It's going to be so much good stuff. Um, uh, yeah. Anything else? Oh, co-host. No, I think we've got a, we've got a show. All right. So, uh, that's this month. Uh, we got through February. Thank God. <laughs> and March is coming in like a lion. Oh yeah, March. Maybe there will be spring. You never Lousy know. March weather. I know. <laughs> uh, well, so remember, listeners, to send me any and all SFT related news and links via Facebook, Twitter, or email, which is Rachel at sfintranslation.com. 
And always look for Daniel's review of uh, Short SFT on the website and, uh, and Daniel's reviews and mine on Strange Horizons. And, uh, yeah, everybody's been great sending me all kinds of stuff and saying, did you see this? Did you see that? And you know what? Even when I have seen it, I'm just, I'm still glad people are sending it to me because it's good that I know that people are like, you know, thinking about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they care. And then they're like, Rachel should know about this. And I'm like, yes, I should. So thank you to all you guys, um, you know, for, for just for pitching in. Cause I obviously cannot like do all of this myself and, you know, Daniel, you and I, you know, we talk about all this stuff and there's still stuff that we've missed. <laughs> oh yes. so, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, but anyway, well, happy reading everybody. And, uh, yeah, we will talk to you next month. À la prochaine. Au revoir. If you would like to support this show, you can go to patreon.com slash skiffyandfanty or find us on Twitter at skiffyandfanty, our webpage skiffyandfanty.com, or you can even send us an email at skiffyandfanty at gmail.com. The intro music for this podcast was taken from Rock Thing by Creo. You can find out more about their music on freemusicarchive.org.